when you're growing your business, you know, people always say, oh, you're busy. That's great. And it's like, "Mm, it is. But I really understood the meaning of growing pains because you have to change things in your business to accommodate that. This is the Wellstruck Podcast, where we talk about what small business ownership is really like. I'm Sarah Zero, the founder of Wellstruck and the facilitator of the Wellstruck community, where small business owners gather to talk shop and exchange fresh perspectives with friends who get it. After years of hearing small business owners talk candidly behind closed doors, the biggest secret I've learned is that we're all just figuring it out as we go. Here on the podcast, I'm interviewing the folks who are down for sharing their stories about the messy middle. Today, I'm chatting with Shyla Griffith, the founder of SG23Design. Shyla is a South Jersey-based interior designer whose motto, stay inspired, not overwhelmed, keeps clients calm and stress-free throughout the design process. Nine years ago, Shyla founded SG23Design after years of working at an award-winning architecture firm to bring stellar project management and detailed design work to homeowners and businesses. Now, Shyla and her team create spaces that improve quality of life and generate returns on the client's investment. Hello and welcome, Shyla. Hi, Sarah. I'm so excited to be here. I cannot wait to talk to you because I just admire your systems and your processes and the way you've grown your business. Like, I can't wait to hear more about the messy middle for you. Thank you. Um, so before we dive into the business stuff, I, because people are just listening in and they can't see you, I'd love to invite you to set the scene a little bit. Tell us where you are. Tell us just a little bit about you, the person, Shyla, before we dive into business. Sure. So I'm in my design studio in Riverton, New Jersey, and Riverton's is a really cute historic town. We have a storefront. So we have really huge windows. Um, my pup is taking a nap next to me as she usually is. And, um, we have a lot of plants in the studio and a lot of material and finish samples. Perfect. That helps give me a little bit of a visual. Can you tell us a little bit more about you? Sure. So I, um, I'm a first generation American. My parents are immigrants. My mom's from El Salvador. My dad's from Barbados. I am a dog mom. So my dog's eight years old. She's a Beagle Shepherd mix, and she's a little bit sassy. And I just finished my first stained glass class, which is kind of exciting. Oh, my gosh. Wait, tell me a little bit about how you got into that. So I saw a stained glass piece I wanted um, on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I went to the woman's website, and she only sold the patterns. So being who I am, I was like, I need to figure out how to do stained glass. So I looked this for is classic Shyla, <laughs> classic Shyla. <Yeah. laughs> Let me learn how to do it. So, I love it. So I looked around um, the area to, I looked online to see if there was a class nearby thinking there's, there's not a stained glass class nearby. And it turned out there was, and it was going to start in like two weeks. So I took the class um, and it was a lot of fun. It was a five week course. And now I have a stained glass piece to hang in one of the windows at the studio. Oh my gosh, you have to take a picture of it so I can put it in the show notes. I'll do it. I would love to see that. So now that we have a little bit of a picture of you, a little visual, and we know a little bit more about you as a person, can you tell me a couple of accomplishments that you're really proud of if you look back on your career so far? So we recently launched our free on-demand training 
three essentials you absolutely need for your reno remodel and redesign. I'm super excited about that. Uh, this past spring, I added a new team member and it happened in 2020, but I'm still very excited that I actually purchased my design studio space. I'm excited about that too, because there's a good story there, right? Yes. So my first job ever was in this really sweet gift shop called Victorian Times in Riverton. And my boss at the time, she's still a really great friend. The person I met there, um, a coworker, I was made of honor at her wedding. So she closed the shop when I was in grad school. You know, that was my first job. So it was a really special job, a really great boss. And over the years after she closed the shop, there were a couple of different tenants. And I started looking for a studio space in early 2019 because I knew I wanted to grow a team. I worked from home for a couple of years before having the studio. The person, the tenant at the time asked me if I wanted to sublet. So I sublet for about a year. And then the person who owned the space asked me um, if I was interested in buying because I wanted to sell this particular suite. And I jumped at the chance. I knew I didn't intend on moving. So my studio is actually in the same suite where I had my first shop ever when I was, you know, 16. I think that's so serendipitous and full circle. Yes. I, I love that. I love it so much. Um, you mentioned that she was a great boss. I'm so curious what made your very first boss such a good boss. So she was really great about trusting us. Um, she always made sure we delegated and um, she trusted us to open and close the shop. I mean, we were in, we were in high school. Um, she put a lot of trust in us and she also really supported me and in, in really in design because in high school I took classes at more college of art and design on Saturdays and it was like half the day and I worked on Saturdays for the most part and I asked her I'm like is it okay if I come in you know around lunchtime on Saturday because I have art class and she's like oh yeah that's fine um and if it was slow she would let me work on you know my homework for that class so she was just a really supportive person um, and it's kind of crazy that now I have a design studio in the place where uh, she kind of supported me in that. Thank you for sharing that. I'm curious to hear how that's maybe influenced how how you are a boss and how you manage, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Those accomplishments are super impressive. And as someone who doesn't have a team yet and is in the process of defining all my systems and processes, Tell us a little bit more about how you got started and how you got to where you are now. So I knew I wanted to be an interior designer since I knew it was a job since I was 13. And I took as many art classes as I could in high school, wood shop, anything creative. Um, I had a really supportive art teacher. So he told me about the young artist program at Moore College. So I started taking classes there. Then when I was in high school, I knew I wanted to go to school for interior design. So picking a college was not hard. It was a matter of getting in. So got in, went to Philly U. Um, and I graduated in 2008. While I was there, I interned at um, a firm that focused on corporate design. I was in their design department. And then I went straight to grad school because I graduated in 2008, which is in the middle of a recession, which that's fun. So I went straight to grad school. So I got my master's in sustainable design from the same school. And while I was there, I interned at a firm that focused on sustainable design. And then right after grad school, I got a job at an award-winning architecture firm on the main line in Pennsylvania. 
So they do high-end uh, residential interior architecture and design. And I was there for a couple years. Fantastic firm. Working with architects was really great, really eye-opening because I did a lot of the work the architects did. But I started to miss interior design a lot. Um, they didn't do interior design there. The clients would hire outside interior designers. So I would see their work. So we had to collaborate with them, but I couldn't like, touch it. I couldn't do it. So I started to think about starting my own firm. Um, and in retrospect, I probably was always going to start my own company. Because when I was a kid, I would always play like office and I had my own little companies that I started and sent out little invoices for chores I did, um, which is the audacity to charge my clients for chores. But <laughs> <laughs> I started my company nine years ago, but there was some overlap. Um, I was still at the architecture firm for three years until I went full-time on my own. Mm-hmm. So as soon as I um, knew I was on my own company, I built a portfolio website, I put in my notice, and I was still in a couple big jobs, so I actually consulted for them. And um, I took a part-time at a previous internship and um, negotiated insurance. So that was good because oh that was something I was really worried about. So I was like, I'll, I'll work part-time, but I need insurance. And <laughs> I, you know, I let everyone know that I was kind of making that transition into focusing part-time on SG23. And I got mm-hmm. so busy really quickly, which is really great. But I started pulling all-nighters again. And I did that in undergrad. I'm like, I am not doing this again. Oh, my gosh. No. Yeah. So... I thought I was going to be at that part-time job for at least two years, but it ended up being like two months. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And they knew I wasn't eventually focused full-time on SG23 design. So they were very supportive. They're like, we can't be upset or happy for you. Um, I've had really amazing bosses throughout my life. They've all been supportive and they've, all of my previous bosses have been clients of mine at some point. Oh my gosh. Yes. That, that says a lot about you. (laughs) So then um, I focused full-time on SG23 design after giving notice there and, you know, kept working along. I worked from home for a couple years and I finally opened up the studio in March, 2019. You just made that sound so streamlined and perfect and exactly like you knew what you wanted to do and you always had the backup plan. Was it, did it feel like that when you were in it? Did it feel like you were on top of everything and always had a plan? I always have like two or three backup plans. <laughs> uh, and I think I'm to the point where I'm not sure if that's just my personality or it's the job that I do because with interior design, the design part is not, for me, it's not that scary. You have a lot of control over the design part. But when it's actually being built out, and you're collaborating with contractors and they find a pipe in the wall they didn't know was there and the delivery gets lost, you have to have backup plans because when you talk to a client, you need to have a solution already before you talk to them or the conversation usually doesn't go well. So I've always had two or three backup plans and I'm, you know, transitioning to focusing full-time on my company was very strategic. I didn't just wake up one day and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take the leap. No, it, I thought about it for years, exactly how I'm going to do it. If, them, if something goes wrong, what are my backup plans? I made sure I had, you know, six months of savings to pay my bills when I left. So very well thought through. That's amazing. I mean, would you, I, I think that is part of your personality. I feel like 
Would you say that that's your zone of genius? The thing that comes naturally to you and you enjoy? It's funny you ask that because for years, I've not really known what my zone of genius is. And I was talking to one of my friends a couple months ago. She's also an interior designer. And I was like, I don't know what my zone of genius is. And she's like, Shyla, it's implementation and project management. I'm like, what are you saying? And I'm 100%. like, but it's easy though. And she's like, it's easy for you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And um, I would say it's my zone of genius. I think I had a lot of trouble accepting that as my zone of genius because I wanted design to be my zone of genius. And I realized it's probably my zone of excellence because that's the thing I've been doing for 15 years and I'm good at it because I've been doing it for so long. But my zone of genius is the project management end of things. Same, same as far as the design being the zone of excellence. Like it would always give me so much stress and I had to really work at it, um, which is why I ended up switching from from doing brand design over to uh, having the membership community. So that's super relatable to me. So do you, do you do a lot of the design yourself now or do you project manage and your employees do more of the design work? I do a lot of the design work still. Um, I have a team now, so I do delegate a lot more. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm still checking over everything. I'm still checking all the drawings, checking all the selections. But I definitely have them, you know, send me some options for this sofa and I'll look over them. Um, because I got to a point in my business where I knew I wanted to have more projects. And to do that, I couldn't do them all at one time. When I opened my studio in 2019... It was really a tough point. It, emotionally, it was very hard. And it was kind of crazy because I thought to myself, I have everything that I want. Like, I have the exact studio that I want. I have all these things. I'm going to team. But I was, I would cry all the time because I had 14 projects at one time by myself when I opened my studio. Um, and that's really hard. Um, that's too much. It's, it's too much. So this is coming back to me. I feel like that was maybe around the time we met. I feel like there was a point early on when we met, when you were just like, I have so much on my plate and I can't, it's hard for me to slow down and rest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think yeah. that makes a lot of sense actually. Yes. Because I was searching, I needed to confirm that I wasn't losing my marbles. Like, I'm like, this is, why am I so stressed out? I have a lot of things that I want but I'm still not content. And when you're growing your business, you know, people always say, oh, you're busy. That's great. And it's like, mm, it is. But I really understood the meaning of growing pains because you have to change things in your business to accommodate that. Uh, and also with hiring, I learned the hard way that when you hire people, you can't hire them too late. You can't hire them when you're already too busy mm. because even to interview people, if you're too busy, you don't have time to look over resumes and interview people. You have deadlines. Mm -hmm. So it took a while for me to kind of get over that hump. But once I did, um, it was great. And my team is fantastic. So now, so far, I don't, I don't run into that anymore. Now I delegate. Now I, I make sure that um, I, by myself, is not working on 14 projects at a time. That sounds healthier. Yes, <laughs> a lot healthier. Yeah. And I know that since then you've had more time to travel a little bit more and just take breaks. Yes. You mentioned that 
one of the lessons that you learned was that you need to hire people before it's too late. Yes. Tell me more about the hardship of learning that lesson and how you came out of that. So the hard thing about hiring is, especially if you're a small business, it's the chicken or the egg. So hiring people is a lot of responsibility because you basically need to make enough money to pay your own bills, but also pay somebody else's bills. So you want to make sure you're bringing enough money to compensate that person, but also you want to, you need help so you can get the workout so you can make money. Um, and I was talking to a friend of mine and I'm like, when do you know when to hire people? And he's like, when you're working as hard as you possibly can, you can't get it all done. And it was so like straightforward. I'm like, that makes complete sense. Um, and if you hire the right people, they will ultimately make you money. So keep that in the back of your mind. Hmm. So once I made that realization, um, I hired an intern first and the way I found the intern, oh, my old art teacher still taught at my high school. And I oh asked my gosh. him, I'm like, do you have any standout students that you would recommend? And he sent me two names. They both sent me resumes. I interviewed them um, and I hired my first intern and I hired her part-time so I could kind of like ease into it. And she was great. And, and um, I kind of moved from there. And now I have two people in the office. And they're fantastic. One thing I also realized when you hire people, if you're, if you're already organized, you have to be even more organized when you hire people. Because they need to be able to find the files they need. They need to not have to ask you questions every five minutes. Because if you're, you do have to train them in the beginning. But if you're always clarifying things that you've asked them to do, you can't get your own work done. And also they're not mind readers. So you have to be very clear about what you're expecting and what you want because they, they're going to do the best that they can, but if they don't understand what you're asking for, they can't give it to you. So I feel like what you just described is the enigma. Like it is the challenge for people to wrap their heads around like the position I'm in, what you just described of, being so busy, working your butt off, being so busy that you can't do all the things you want to do that are going to also make you more money. And so that's the time to hire. Um, so I know that you can start by hiring a contractor or a consultant, things like that. Like that's a different type of outsourcing and getting help. But my question then is, when you said that you didn't hire the first time before you were ready, how did you navigate having so much on your plate while also creating the systems to onboard an employee and teach them along the way? So the most honest answer is I got a lot less sleep <laughs> for a while. And then I had to stretch out my projects. So part of the reason I got into that pickle is because anytime I got a new client, I would start their project right away. And I had to be better with my boundaries and say, you know, I can't start that project for two months. And as soon as I did that and the first client said, okay, that's fine. I was like, oh, um, my business is not going to burn to the ground if I have boundaries. As soon as I realized that, that helped a whole lot. And then it freed me up to start getting systems in place to onboard employees so that by the time that project comes up, they can help me better. That makes perfect sense. You just wrap that up in a bow. 
at least for those who have a service-based business where you could delay and basically have a wait list is kind of what you did. So I would imagine, before I assume, I should just ask, <laughs> um, were the boundaries scary for you? Did you have that uh, scarcity mindset or was that scary to navigate? A hundred percent. I think in the architecture, interior design, construction industry, I feel like in the very beginning of our careers, we're kind of taught the, the client's always right. You have to be very accommodating. And I observed a lot of unhealthy workplace um, things taking place. And I knew that I didn't want that for my team. So not wanting that for myself is, is, is different. That's, um, it's, it's harder to have boundaries for myself than it is for my team. So um, I knew that if I wanted to run a business where we weren't all working 60, 70 hours a week and not getting overtime, that I needed to be very strong in my boundaries with clients. And that has to start from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, even our info session calls are scheduled. Most mm-hmm. people don't just call and expect us to drop everything to take their call. And it's for a while, I thought that was like mean, like I just didn't want to talk to them. And that's the kind of feeling they would get. But I'm like, no, I do that so that when I'm working on a project, I'm focused on that project. And I think it's good for our clients to know if I'm focused on their floor plan for the day, that's what I'm focused on for the day because they're a paying client. So things like that, I kind of had to wrap, you know, change my mindset on that. Um, but a lot of a lot of the boundaries, I would say, got better once I hired hired a team because my team, they leave at five o'clock every day. And if they're still at their desk at 5.05, I'm like, what are you doing? I <laughs> love this. I could not love this more. That's, it seems like you've, you've solved that challenge of like, I feel like we, at the beginning of our careers, at least our generation, very much heard that like, you work hard, like you just work as hard as you can. Working hard is successful, working hard leads to money, more money is good, that's the goal, without factoring in balance and quality of life and joy and time to um, have a life and be a person beyond business. And I think for a lot of people, they see that as being unattainable. Like it's not possible to do that and make the money you need for a comfortable life. So financially speaking, we don't have to get into details here, but are you in a place where you feel like you've found that, that balance between making the money you and your team deserve for the value that you're providing to live the life that you're wanting to live? I think it's always a work in progress. Um, Mm -hmm. I would say I still would like to work on less projects a year that have bigger projects. And Mm -hmm. part of that is because whenever the projects are bigger and I can focus on them for longer periods of time, the work seems to be better. If Mm. I'm hopping from project to project all the time, at that point, I'm still designing things, but at some point you just have to get out of the door. And 
the clients are happy with it, but I'm not happy with it because I know I could have, you know, taken it to another level. Yes. Out of the one to 10 scale, you're always aiming for the 15. Yes. <laughs> Whereas the clients aren't even aware that 15 is possible. They're very, very happy. Could not be happier with the 10. So many of us entrepreneurs do that. Yes. <laughs> At least the ones that I know. Um, that's a that's a hard lesson to learn. <laughs> but it's also why you have a wait list, which is pretty awesome. This is a great transition to talking about intentionally unconventional approaches. One of the things we talk about a lot at Wellstruck is aligning our business with our values. So there's one in particular that I know that you do because you started doing it right after we met each other. You charge for your consultations. Tell me more. So the first couple of years I had my business, I did not charge for consultations. And consultations are a lot of work. So um, usually we go to somebody's house, we do a walkthrough, you know, talk about their wish list, kind of the overall aesthetic and so forth. So consultation, you know, our consultations now are two hours. Um, back then it was, you know, one to two hours. So I didn't charge for them. And it was really weird because you'd walk through and you kind of want to give them advice, but you kind of don't because they could take that advice and just hire another designer. And it, they didn't really value your time as much. They're like, Oh, okay. You have another half hour. Do you have more time to look at this space? And it was just a really awkward situation. Yeah. Because then at that point you feel like you have to say no to them already and that's starting off on a bad foot at a time when you're trying to sell them on you. Correct. Like, like if they're like, do you have time to look at one more thing? If you're like, no, then they don't. They. I started charging for consults. So my first coach, my first business coach told me, you know what? Charge $500. And I was like, mm, are you sure about that? Just, just do it and see what happens. And I started charging for my consults. Actually, I might not have, have started at 500 um, but eventually got to that point and it was insane. I, first of all, it weeds out the people who don't value your work. So, and at first that sounds very scary, but I had one call. They called me on like a Wednesday. They're like, we need you to come to the house on Friday. And I'm like, mm, first of all, I'm booked out for two weeks. And they're like, yeah, but we need to start this product right away. And that's, kind of not my problem. Um, <laughs> but he was already trying to, you know, push me around already not respecting me as a professional. And I told him, I'm like, okay, this is how we usually work with our clients. Um, you would book a boutique consultation. This is what happens during the consultations. It's two hours long. We work through all this. We walk through all the spaces you want to discuss. You get a recap and also a list of design ideas to explore. So even if you don't work with us further, you have a starting point. And that is $500 flat fee. Well, what he said was, I don't believe in anyone working for free, but I'm not paying for that. So I said to him, um, when I'm at your house for those two hours, I'm working. Like I usually leave consults with a headache because I'm an introvert, so it takes a lot out of me. Some people I don't like the consoles, it just takes a lot out of me. Hmm. And he said, well, I'm not paying for that. And I'm like, okay, well, good luck with your project. 
<laughs> and he was like, what, what did you say? I'm like, good luck with your project. I'm like, I'm sitting at my desk with a billable that is at the time, I think it was a hundred dollars an hour, but I'm supposed to leave that work that a client's already paying me for to come to your house for free. That is not happening. Mind you, he is getting the free phone call that he's on right now with you, right? So weeding out people like that, I have no problem with. I have no issue with. Because honestly, if I'm charging $500 for a consult and someone's doing a renovation, they could spend that much on a faucet. I'm not okay with them valuing the faucet more than they're valuing my time. So um, since I charge for- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's say that again. Say it again. I am not okay with a client valuing a faucet more than they are valuing. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so um, since I started charging for consults, not ev- not everyone books a consult, but I would say 85, 90% of the people I talk to book it because they know it's going to be valuable. Even if they don't work with me further, it's going to help them move their project forward. And it's changed everything because now when I show up for consults, um, they're respectful of my time. I can't tell you how many times we're in a consult. We're not even halfway through. And they ask me, Oh, do you have more time? Is it okay if we look at this? And I'm like, yeah, you have two hours. Um, they show up for their consults because they've already paid for it. And they are more invested in their project. And also when I send them a proposal, they're not surprised. I'm actually charging money for my services because they've already paid for a service. So it's changed everything in my business. Um, And I've worked with a lot more clients that I really like working with because they value my time. And it feels good to work with someone who really sees your expertise and doesn't just feel, they feel like you're helping them instead of them just telling you what to do and what they want. Totally. They're hiring you because you're an expert. Let you lead the way. Um, I love the line, good luck with your project. That is badass. It's very scary while you're doing it, but after you hang up, there's, there are no regrets. Oh my gosh. You must feel so good. It's, that's power. It's powerful. Uh, did you have fear that he would go and like bad mouth you or say that I, you were rude to him or anything like that? I used to worry about things like that before. Um, you know, I mean, there have been instances where I have had a past client get upset about something that was not my fault. Um, And, you know, I'll call my friends that are interior designers as well. Like, what did I do wrong here? Like, you didn't do anything wrong. Like, but what if they say bad things about me and nobody wants to hire me? And they're like, Shyla, anybody who knows you is not going to believe anything they're saying. I'm like, oh, okay. And then once I kind of got over that, I... I'm just more okay with it. And it it does take practice. I've been doing this for nine years. It doesn't just happen overnight. It does take a lot of practice. It's very scary at first. But once you do it once, you're kind of like, oh, okay. That feels good. And now I'm going to have time for that next client who I'm actually going to love working with and who's going to respect my time. Exactly. And the, the clients that don't treat you well from the beginning that you continue to kind of try to appease, they end up being nightmare clients. And those are the clients that you actually lose money on the project because they're such, they're just a nightmare all the way around. Right. If that's how they're, if that's how they're treating you in the beginning, when things are exciting, how is it going to go when 
they realize that there's something hidden behind their walls that there's no way anybody could have known and it'll be a setback, yeah. you know, like I can't imagine. So uh, kudos. I love that you charge. And has it affected the percentage of people who book with you? Um, I would say it's gone up. So if I have a consult with someone, I book uh, 90 to 95% of those consults. I book them um, as, a, as a project. And if I don't book it, it doesn't bother me as much because I don't feel like I gave them all this free information. I feel good about it. I'm like, okay, well, I help them. They seem like they got enough out of it. Fine. A 95% booking rate is wild. You should be so proud of that. I hope you are. <laughs> While we're talking about clients that you don't want to work with or people you don't want to work with, <laughs> which is good. It's good. It's those boundaries. It's those values. Um, and you're in enough demand that you can work with the people who you're going to love working with. Um, tell me about the architecture, design, and construction industry as it relates to being a woman in a very male-dominated field. I know that you I, I want to hear more. So it's interesting. Uh, I'm at a point now where I can pick who I want to work with. So I don't work with contractors that are going to talk down to me on site. That's just not happening. Um, that goes for anybody else on the design team architects. You know, I just don't put up with it. I also tell my team, my team is, um, we're all women so far. So I also tell them if you're ever on site, anything goes down, tell me about it. And I'm going to, I'll take care of it. Um, and so far I've not run into anything I would say I couldn't handle, <laughs> but I've definitely been on site. I walk on site and the, like, the contractor kind of looks me up and down and like, who's this kid? And then I walk through and I do my thing. I'm like, this is not 16 inches on center. This is not the countertop with the eased edge we talked about. And I just do my thing. Um, and they're like, oh, Okay. And the contractors that are very respectful, I never have a problem with them. Um, and they like what we do because we actually make their job easier because we document everything. Everything is there in the project binder and the drawing set. So um, it in the beginning, it was especially tough because when I, and it, I did not realize this until I left my last job. When I was at the architecture firm, anytime I went to site, I was with a project architect and it was always a man. It just turned out that way. So I didn't have people talk down to me as much because I was with a man at site. Then mm. when I was by myself, I was, whoa, 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 what is going on here? Um, and I was like, oh, because I'm a woman and I'm by myself. So now I have to learn how to stand my ground and be confident um, so it takes practice and I think that once you make it clear to men that might not be as respectful that you're not going to stand for that, they, sometimes they get upset about it, but it's kind of too bad. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of too bad. I love the way that you're just like, don't care. Good. Like they have to deal with it. It's their problem. That, that mindset is, is so beautiful. I, it's, it's helpful to hear that that took years to get to that point because I think a lot of people wish they could just 
do that naturally from the get-go. Yeah, it takes it takes a lot of practice. Ah, so this is a good segue to talking about working with the other people in your industry, not just your clients, and being selective about that. And I would love to hear a little more about that because I, I know you want to share about that. So as you build your business, you kind of know who the people that you prefer to work with because they just make your life easier. And I have a friend, she's in sales. She put it perfectly. Um, it's not my fault, but it's my problem. So Ooh. if you're working with people that are not as competent or not as thorough, the client's going to come usually to us and say, you know, this wasn't installed correctly. Even though I did not install that thing, they want me to solve the problem. Mm. So the way to avoid that is to try to work with other professionals that do a really fantastic job, are very communicative, and they just make your life easier. And then the client calls you and like, oh, this looks great. Like, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, you kind of want to build your A team. And that takes years to do. Uh, and it's always kind of evolving. And it does change from project to project as well. So working with a really great team, the projects just turn out so much better. And Of course. Yeah, they're so much more thoughtful. And I, I do like collaborating um, when you're working with a really great team. When you, when you have a really terrible team, it's... It, can kind of, <laughs> <laughs> it makes the project less pleasant, but as a professional, yeah. you just work through it. Yeah. So talking about terrible teams and being choosy about who you work with, uh, I know you mentioned that you've definitely run into some misogyny over the course of your career. And uh, I would love to hear how you deal with that. And um, I that's all. I want to, I want to know <laughs> your approach. I don't do well with misogyny because I don't have patience for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So as soon as I run into it, I shut it down because I'm like, I'm not, if you let them get away with it once, it's going to keep happening. So I've learned that there are a lot of people that come off as misogynistic. Sometimes they're completely unaware of it. So a small example of that, um, I was in a meeting, I think it was 12 people. I was the only woman there. I was the only one without a drawing set. And I was like, mm. and at first I was like, maybe I shouldn't say anything because I don't want to complain. I don't want to be a burden, which is something usually only women think. Mm -hmm, I was like, mm -hmm. you know what? No, I deserve a drawing set because I'm the interior designer. So I'm like, um, can I have a drawing set, please? And they all stopped. And first, the client, very nice client, he's like, oh, you can, you can look at my drawing set. And I'm like, oh, okay. But then somebody else at the table is like, oh, let me go print that for you. Um, so things like that where I think it's very, it's not intentional, but it, there are a lot of things that are not unintentional, but I don't know that it would happen to a man in that situation. Mm -hmm. So those things, sometimes I just let it go. And other times I'm like, mm, just so you're aware, maybe you shouldn't do that next time. And mm -hmm. often, if you're talking to someone who is respectful, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that. And they make sure it doesn't happen again. And that's, that's good. You have to communicate what the issue is so they can fix it, right? Other times, 
I've run into situations where they just want to push me around. And I'm a very nice person, but I have my limits. So when that happens, I will talk back. (laughs) I will stand my ground. And usually they don't like it. But usually after that, they're a lot nicer. I only know the very kind side of you. And so I'm very fascinated by this sassy Shyla side you were talking about. (laughs) Uh, So I usually, so I am nice usually. And the funny thing is, of course you are. (laughs) The funny thing is, is before I need to get a little sassy, I usually Mm -hmm. let them know, I'm like, listen, if this continues, we're going to have a problem. And usually that's enough for them to be like, oh, okay. And since I am a nice person, when I do get upset, they're usually shocked by it. So that's mm. probably why they don't do it again. <laughs> so good. But that's a that's a great line. That's I mean, that's so simple and yet so helpful. I feel like it really does help other women to have that those like quick little one liners to 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 stand up for ourselves when we're in that position. Yes. And I think it also, I realized this recently, I think it also speaks to why I'm so much about systems and really great documentation and saving all my emails. Because the way I avoid conflict when I run into these situations, um, because I've had contractors in the past try to blame me for things that were not my fault. Mm. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to let that go for a minute. I'm going to go through my documentation and then I'll say that is off by six inches. It's drawn here. This needs to be fixed and the client's not paying for it. So, but the only reason I can do that is because all of our documentation or systems are in place that allows for that. And I'm not saying I'm perfect. Whenever there's something wrong on site, I always check to make sure I didn't mess up. Mm -hmm. I'm not perfect. I will say that the times that I have messed up on something, I'm very forthcoming coming about it. Um, we mm-hmm. had a project, the electrician installed a sconce and he, he called me, he's like, Shiloh, should this be, you know, six inches above? I'm like, yeah, that's fine. I was in a rush. I didn't check the drawing. And then I was on site. I'm like, this is too high. The client's mm-hmm. not going to like it. And it, that's my fault. So I called the electrician. I'm like, listen, can you please move it? Send me the bill. And he's like, I've never had an interior designer do that. And I'm like, well, it's my fault. Like, I'm not going to have you. You're doing work to move the fixture that I told you to put in the wrong spot. Right. So when it is my fault, I'm forthcoming about it. But if someone's just trying to blame me for something that mm-hmm. they did, that's mm-hmm. not happening. That's such a good way of sticking to your values once again. So thank you for sharing that. Let's talk about current challenges. So you have overcome lots of challenges already, as we've already talked about before. And one of the things I think is really important for all of us to hear is that there's no point in your business, no matter how successful you are, and no matter how successful you might seem to other people, we all still face challenges. It's never like tied up and done. Um, And so with that, can you tell us something that's got you stuck or challenged right now that you're still figuring out? The thing that I'm challenged with right now in particular is I feel like I'm just coming out of another bout of burnout 
And part of it is because there's a lot of things going on in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we've had so many great projects, which I'm not complaining about because I'm not going to complain because they're amazing projects. But being creative all the time is exhausting. And I'm introverted. So, you know, interior design is a business where you're talking with clients, contractors, architects, engineers all the time. If you're doing your job right, everyone feels like they have the information they need. The client feels like they're taken care of. To do that, you need to be corresponding with all of these people all the time. And it is exhausting for me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of the reason I focus so much on efficiency. I've been at other firms where meetings drag on for like two hours. I'm like, we could have done this in 20 minutes. And projects drag on for longer than necessary. Um, so I've, I've built systems so that it takes less out of me. Mm-hmm. But even so, I still, I know that when I get burned out, it's because I am interacting with too many people too often. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the one-on-one projects are the most rewarding. So there's always that weird kind of yeah. um, uh, dichotomy there. So I'm always struggling with wanting to take on bigger projects with bigger budgets so that I don't I can do less of them. But mm-hmm. I feel like everyone deserves to live in a home they're comfortable in and they're happy in. And it's really hard to turn down the projects that are, they're just too small. They're not sustainable for us. That mm-hmm. is really hard for me to do still. And I, I don't think it's ever really going to get easy, but that's always, I haven't figured that out yet, but mm. um, that is a challenge I've had. And that's part of the reason I created our three essentials training, because that is, an on-demand virtual training. So that's a way I can still help people, but it doesn't take as much out of me. Building the, building the training, that took a lot. But, you know, I can do that and put it into the world and hopefully it helps some people without it being one-on-one. Because, yeah, because now it's a, an on-demand thing, video that they can watch, right? Correct. Way to bring it full circle, Shiloh. We talked about that, like the very first thing that you shared as we were uh, talking about accomplishments. Um, yeah, I think that's a challenge so many of us face and I'm really grateful to you for being really vulnerable about it because yeah, no business owner wants to say out loud, certainly even on a podcast, um, like I'm coming off of burnout or, um, though I love my work, it is exhausting and takes a lot out of me. But I, 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 and that's again, just why I want to thank you for sharing that because that's being real. It's keeping it real. Everybody feels like that about their work at some point. As a business owner, we're lucky to absolutely love our work even when it's really hard and exhausting and you still want to come back for more. You don't want to stop doing it, but it's like a constant puzzle that we're trying to figure out and iterate and try new things to make it better. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how that um, how that new scalable offering is is gonna work out for you um and i i also love it's another example of weaving in your values of accessible pricing because you believe at the root of everything everybody deserves to love their home and so to give people that alternative option without 
expending more of your one-on-one energy because that's super valuable and limited. Um, thank you for sharing all that. I, I really admire that. I know people are going to appreciate hearing that too. So as we wrap up here, I would love to know, looking ahead, what does success look like for you? And I know in particular, you wanted to talk a little bit about your parents and watching them and that effect on your version of success. Yeah, so um, my parents, um, they're immigrants. So my mom is from El Salvador. She came here during the Civil War there um, Mm. when she was 20 by herself. And then my dad came here from Barbados when he was 16 uh, with his family. So they didn't have as many opportunities as I did. And I'm thankful I have parents that did everything they could to give me what I needed. So um, they've always had jobs that were very stable instead of jobs that they necessarily that they really wanted and were really passionate about. And growing up, I was very aware of this. So I always wanted a job that I loved. And um, saying that, it was it was very hard to also be okay with that because it did feel selfish at times. But I've realized, um, especially through therapy, I'm very open. I've, I'm a huge supporter of therapy that, you know, my parents wanted me to have a career that I love. So um, my version of success, you know, it's having a job that I love, not 100% of the day every day, but Mm -hmm. most of the time, it's very rewarding. I would like to get to a point where I can travel for longer periods of time because travel is a huge I've had a passport since I was six. I love traveling. Mm. I would like to continue to build a business that is a a healthy workplace for my employees. That's really, really important Mm. to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd like to get to a point where I can focus on side projects that have nothing to do with design Um, or maybe design adjacent. So not quite there yet, but working on Mm, it. But stained glass. Yeah, that's that is true. There you go. You're you're embarking on it. So I have to ask with travel, what's what's some place that you are really would love to go? Oh my goodness, that list is so long. I would love to go to Patagonia, South America. I feel like the hiking, I have to prep for that because that's serious hiking. Yeah. Um, I've not been to South America yet. Um, I'm always I'm always good with going back to Europe. And I mean, pretty much anywhere in Europe, I'm not really that picky at this point. Um, but yeah, Patagonia, Europe, I would like to go to Scandinavia, Norway, Finland. Same. I want to see all the design the functional design (laughs) as well as the nature, but um, I digress. Okay. So let's talk Patagonia. You said that you 
are wanting to take travel more and for longer periods of time. How long are we talking? I would probably, I'm thinking like a month at a time. I have a dog, so <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm still thinking about her. Probably like a month at a time, I think would be cool. It would take, it would be cool to take a month off every year and kind of have a, a short little residency elsewhere. Heck yeah. And rest that introverted side of you. prevent burnout i'll take care of olive you can send her to me for a month and um awesome well i'm gonna follow up with you about your month in patagonia i feel like maybe that'll happen like by 2025. (laughs) it's been a pleasure talking to you i love getting to know you better and i learn stuff every single time i talk to you um so if people want to follow along with you um or want to work with you after hearing this lovely interview, um, how, how can they follow along? What's the best way for them to uh, experience more Shyla and SG23 design? So we're most active on Instagram. Our handle is at SG23design. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can head to our website, SG23design.com. And you can actually book an info call on our homepage, no obligation, no pressure. We can just help you um, know which next steps to take for your project. Lovely. And then if they want to take it from there and do a consultation, they'll just have to know that you're worth it. And of course you're worth it. And they'll pay for it because they've heard it here and they understand the value of it. So (laughs) thanks so much for sharing everything. Um, That website is also in the show notes. Thanks again, Shyla. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for listening to the Wellstruck Podcast, where we talk about what small business ownership is really like so that you can be more confident about the messy process of figuring things out as you go, because that's what we're all doing. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share it with a friend. And if you're a small business owner, join us for a Wellstruck Roundtable. You can subscribe to our email list where we share upcoming events at wellstruck.com slash subscribe. And remember, You got this.